you're looking at your orders of service carefully, you'll note I have two sermons I'll be preaching this morning. I promise that they will both be short, much shorter than a typical message. But in preparing for the text, it seemed that there was one main point that helped lead us to communion and then one other main point that will help us leave from communion. And we're going to be looking at those separately uh, with communion in between. This morning we continue the sermon series we began yet last Sunday by looking at 1 Timothy 1, this time verses 8 through 20. Last week we introduced the book, saw the general principles of who wrote it and to whom, and focused on that main call that Paul had given to Timothy to uh, fight against those false teachers who were engaging in speculations based on myths and genealogies rather than love that came from a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. Picking up then in verse 8 of chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, we read, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted in ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were in belief who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The opening phrase of our text says that the law is good for those that use it lawfully. That question, 
What is the purpose and place of the Old Testament law for New Testament Christians has been a question that has been asked and wrestled with ever since the founding of the church. And after wrestling for a long time, in essence, we've basically come to the idea that there are three uses of the laws that continue to apply to us today, two of which I will focus on in the two different messages that I will be preaching this morning. The first statement about the law is that it is needed not for the just, those who do the right thing, but for those that are lawless and disobedient. Basically, it's saying that rules are not needed for people that do the right thing. We need rules because people do the wrong thing. And we understand this. Our nation, for example, has laws about exactly how much blood alcohol you can have and still be allowed to drive a car. And why? Because there are all kinds of people that want to drink to excess and then get behind the wheel when they are in no condition to safely operate that vehicle, putting themselves and others at great harm. And it's the same with God's law. God created human beings. And as the creator, he has revealed to us how it is that we can live the best, most blessed life in the world that he created as he created it. He has told us that doing certain things will harm ourselves, harm others, and destroy our relationship with him. And yet, we so often choose to do those very things, despite the harm that it causes. And the law points this out. It is a clear standard that lets us know this is right, this will lead to life, and this is wrong, and it will only lead to death and frustrations and hurts. And it's not because it's my opinion, but because God has revealed this standard of truth. The text then goes on to give some pretty clear examples of what law-breaking looks like. Starts with some general terms, lawless, disobedient, ungodly, sinners, unholy, and profane. And then it gets more specific in describing those who strike their fathers and mothers, murderers, sexually immoral, including men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. And we look at that list and it seems very clear that he's alluding to specific ways that each one or at least nine of the Ten Commandments are violated in the way that we can live our lives and in the choices that we make. And in essence, Paul is saying, we know what sin looks like, what it looks like when people break the Ten Commandments of God. And he's right. All of us can look at those examples and we say, yes, those kind of people, those are sinners. Those are kind of people that are ruining their lives, who are decaying and destroying society. They are clearly breaking God's commandments. They are sinners worthy of God's just condemnation. That is the point. Part of what the law does is to remind us, to reveal to us that people are sinners. But then Paul does something that seems a bit surprising. 
Instead of just talking about and elaborating about those people that break the law, he starts to talk about himself. And having listed sins of others, he lists some of his own sins. In verse 13, he says that he was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor, an insolent opponent to God and to the truth. And he's talking about what we alluded to last week, the fact that when Paul first heard about Jesus and the proclamation that he had risen from the dead and that this was the way to a right relationship with God by putting faith in him, Paul, as a faithful Jew, decided to do all that he could to shut down that message and to kill off that church that was starting to grow. And when looking at the demands of the law, Paul must admit that those violators, those sinners, included himself. In fact, he says he was the foremost of sinners, the worst. But this is where the story changes and where incredible things happened. Because despite, and maybe even because Paul was the foremost of sinners, Jesus, in his mercy and his great grace, met Paul, interfered with his life, revealed himself, forgave him of his sins, and changed his life. That word mercy that Paul uses, is a beautiful word that means he didn't get the judgment that he should have gotten, the punishments that he had earned. Grace, that other word, is instead of not just getting punished, he was given the gift of righteousness and forgiveness and a restored relationship with God. And through the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, even someone as bad as Paul had been could have his sins forgiven, his life changed, and turn around and could become a totally different person from someone who persecuted the church to someone who went forth as an apostle proclaiming the hope in Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul says that he believes that his conversion took place in order to set an example, to reveal just how great the perfect patience of God was in Jesus, waiting and allowing for sinners to come and turn to him. And the idea is that in sharing his story, we who read it, like Timothy, can say that if someone like Paul can have his life turned into such a radical way, well then maybe someone like me could as well. If we're honest at all, all of us are in that same boat as Paul. Maybe we haven't had the same kind of dramatic transformation in our lives that Paul had from being a great sinner to a preacher and teacher. But when all of us look at the demands of the law of God, we all must admit guilt. None is just. None of us is righteous. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. And that sin has consequences. The consequences we've seen. 
Consequences of broken relationships where we have harmed and destroyed them. Consequences of damage that we've done to our own lives and pain that we've afflicted on the lives of others. Damage that has ruined and distanced us from our God in heaven. And all of that has earned for us the death penalty for that sin. Eternally being separated from God. That's the bad news. But the good news is in Christ that we celebrate this morning as we come to this communion table is that the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world in order to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul is using his conversion story as an example. You don't have to be stuck in your sin in knowing that you are a sinner, you can know that Christ has come to save you. Just like Christ saved him. That forgiveness is possible. That hope is possible. And that change is possible. What a joy to celebrate. And that's exactly what Paul does in reflecting on his story and sharing it again. He just turns to this beautiful doxology to praise God as the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God to whom all glory and honor is due forever and ever. That's a story of the law. You are a sinner. That's Paul's story. And I hope it's, and pray that it's, it's the story that all of us tell. That when we look at the law, we recognize not only that we are sinners, but then in needing relief from that sin, we turn to the one Savior, Jesus Christ, who says, I came in order to save you. And that we would receive that gift and be saved by his life. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for your grace. We are sinners. We know that to be true. We can think of specific examples where we have failed. How glorious to celebrate the fact that you are a God who didn't leave us in our sin, but sent his only son in order to bear the penalty that we had earned so that we might be forgiven of those sins. Lord, as we turn to this communion table, may we celebrate that truth and may it continue to encourage us. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.